through Revelation 13, we used to pass out these cool little journals, these Revelation journals. You guys remember that? And I challenged you early on when we began the book of Revelation back in 1972. It was awesome. (laughs) And I said, the people who take the best notes, that journal the most, I just was trying to coerce you and bribe you and encourage you to take notes. I said, I'm going to give you guys an iPad. I'm going to give one person an iPad. And we eventually gave away three iPads. We, we did that. We honored the people that, that we, we believe God led us to. But the idea was is that you would take notes, that you would just note. Because here's the thing. God's going to speak to you. You're at church right now, right? The Bible says if you ask, seek, or knock, that it'll be given, you'll receive, and doors will be open. It's just what he said. You're here now, and I'm going to talk out of God's word. And I believe God's going to speak to you. And one of the challenges then is to respond properly to what God speaks to you. Now, you could sit here and nod and say, that's good stuff right there. You ever do that before? You'd ever just hear something that's good? You're like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. 20 minutes later, what do you say? I don't know. I don't know. Was it good? It was so good. How, how was church today? Oh, so good. What was it about? I don't know. Oh, man, you should have been there. Because then you could tell me what it was about, you know. And the Bible warns us in the book of James. I'm, I want you guys to write stuff down. In the back of your chairs, there's little note, notepads, little, little papers. If God speaks to you, don't write down details and things that, that maybe are important to me as I preach. I, I say a lot of things. But when the Lord speaks to you about maybe something you need to chew on all week long, okay, don't chew on everything that you're going to hear today. But if you chew on one thing and say, I need, I need to be different. I didn't go to church to pat myself on the back, give myself a hall pass. I'm doing great. I needed to learn something, be corrected and adjusted, and I need to apply this to my life. And you're going, to forget. you're going to forget. You're going to forget. I'm going to say so much. Let me use an illustration I've used before. What if I were to right now rattle off the seven winning numbers of Lotto Bucks for this Thursday? And, I were to get, and it's a guarantee. I'm just going to give them to you quickly and the winning Lotto number two. And I rattled them off quickly as 12 and 48 and 72, three. You know, and you listen and you're like, this is so good. This is going to change my life. And as I rattle them off, you just commit that to memory, you know, kind of casual memory. Like, I'll just be able to go to J.C. Market maybe Tuesday or Wednesday and get that. And I won't for, no, no, no. If you knew that I had the life-changing information of the Lotto Bucks numbers, you would look for a pen and paper. And if there were no pen and paper, you would chew your fingernail into a point. And you would carve it into your forearm with blood. You would. Because the information would change your life. Now, the Bible, it says that when we hear sermons and agree with them, the temptation is just to be deceived into thinking we're doing them. James said that. He said, be careful. James also said, he gave a warning to pastors. He said, be careful when you preach, for your words will be held in greater judgment. It's a big deal, Bible study. And I love church because there's worship and prayer and communion and study and all these things that are so important for me because I forget what in the world I'm supposed to be doing. You ever forget what in the world you're supposed to be doing throughout your day? You're like, what am I doing? We have some goldfish at our house for some reason. I still don't know why. Man, those things. And, and here's how it happened, actually. My wife and I went out of town. I think we had to go to Colorado for a wedding or something. And no longer than like five minutes out the door, my kids convinced their grandparents, Joe and Arla, my parents, to take them to mini Pet Mart and to buy some fish. And Joe and Arla being the naive lovers that they are, just, you know, 
took them to the pet mart. And they, they bought 16 goldfish, man. So I came home, there's like an aquarium going on, you know. And there's only eight left, and they're going to be gone soon enough. But anyways, <laughs> Noah, Noah, he's smart. He reads a lot. And he was telling me about goldfish and about the different species. And, and apparently some goldfish, if not all goldfish, they have a, a memory span of three seconds. Okay, every three seconds, everything's reset for them. And they kind of swim around and hit the, hit the wall and turn around like, hey, how you doing? You know, and they introduce themselves to the other fish and hit the wall and come back. And they just do this the rest of their life. They forget everything every three seconds. And maybe, maybe you're like a goldfish. Maybe you forget what's going on in the world. You forget what's going on in God's economy. You forget what God has called you to. You just get distracted. You forget. And this is why I love corporate worship. I love church because it reminds us about so many things. And when we gather together, man, it's just, oh, that's right. I miss you guys. I love you guys. I don't, I don't see every one of you all week long. And, and you who are online watching and didn't come to church today, you have until 6 p.m. to get here, okay? <laughs> and so as we gather, as we do what we do now, I, I want to implore you with me to be Bible students today, worthy of understanding God's word, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be not ashamed, as it says in 2 Timothy. So I'm going to say a prayer. And I'm going to preach. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you and all those people who are making plans to be at the 6 p.m. <laughs> Lord, in Jesus' name, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We ask God a blessing on it now as we dive into it. What a privilege. Lord, the microphone is set as best we can. The, the lights are right where we got them. The chairs are middle of the line, not maximum cost, but middle. We wanted to make them comfy and Lord, we've done everything here. We've, sit, we've put ourselves here. And now we need the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change our lives. So, Lord, would you give us graces? Would you give me the grace of preaching? In Jesus' name. And would you give my friends, Lord, here and online, would you give them the grace of listening? And would you give us all the grace of obeying? Jesus, you said in John 15, apart from me, you can do no thing. And then Paul declared in Philippians 4.13, through Christ, I can do all things. Either in or out. With the Lord or against them. It's either by the Lord or by ourselves. So Lord, would you bless this time? I thank you so much for it. Minister to us, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Revelation 13. If you're visiting or if you've missed a few sermons, we're studying now a future prophecy given to John about what was going to happen and what is still yet to happen a few more years down the road. John himself, 2,000 years ago, was on the island of Patmos praying for deliverance to be rescued. But instead of rescuing John and delivering him, Jesus showed to John what he was up to. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And John received it and it gave encouragement to him right in the middle of his battle. And John then wrote it down and gave it to the churches in the first century so they would know what in the world is going on. And then for thousands of years, two millenniums, it has been given to the church to study in anticipation that God knows what he's doing both now and in the end. And so as we study this portion of scripture, you got to understand it is a futuristic eschatological, end times, prophetical events that are yet to come. Now, I say that to say this, because in chapter 13, if you're like me, it's going to be right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation period. 
a time period where I am not planning on being there, okay? I'm not going to be present. I am a pre-tribulation rapturist. That means I believe that before the tribulation begins, God is going to rapture, as he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in the twinkling of an eye, snatch away the bride of Christ. He's going to rescue those who believe in him, who have looked to the cross of Christ. He's going to rescue us, listen, before he pours out his wrath on a God-forsaken, Christ-rejecting, sinful world. And the reason why I believe that we will not be there, that I won't be there, is because the Bible says that the church, the bride, Christians are not appointed to the wrath of God. God's not going to pour his wrath out on you. Life's still tough for you, isn't it? You still suffer. Tribulation is not a stranger to you, but the wrath of God? Listen, if you are a believer here, the wrath of God for your sins has been poured out on Christ Jesus the Lord. As he endured and absorbed the sins of the world, not just your sins, but my sins and our sins, and he suffered and he bled for your sins. And so when the Bible says that the wrath of God is gonna be poured out, listen, it's gonna be poured out upon everybody else who has looked past Jesus, who's looked beyond the cross, who has tried to do it their own way, but if you're fortunate by God's grace, like me to have said, hey, I am the sinner standing in the need of grace. And you've been forgiven. The Bible says you will be spared from the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it so clearly in 2 Thessalonians 2. It says that before the tribulation period, that the Antichrist will be revealed, but before he is revealed and the tribulation starts, that the comforter or the restrainer, he will be removed from planet Earth. And do you know who the comforter, the, the spirit of God, the restrainer is indwelling right now? Moi. And you, if you're a Christian. And when he leaves, I'm going with them. So here's my kind of run up to all this. We're going to study chapter 13. The wrath of God poured out on a sinful world. We're looking at the Antichrist and his political system that will be raised up at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Today, we're going to see the false prophet introduced, this guy that's going to work in tandem with this political system, bringing a spiritual aspect, and none of us are going to be there. So why study it? Why get to know it? Why care? Why be aware? Number one, I told you this last week, so that way we know what the Bible says. We don't want any Bible dum-dums here. You should know what the Bible says. You got questions like me? Yeah, I don't know at all, but I should know what's revealed plainly. And I want to know what the Bible says for this reason, number one, so that way I can not just gain knowledge, but I can witness effectively. There are people around you right now making up their own narratives, their own stories, crying the sky is falling and freaking out because they don't know anything. And then you as a Christian, you say, oh, have you ever heard of the grand meta-narrative? Have you ever heard of the story of redemption? Have you ever heard of the rise and fall of humanity? Have you ever heard of the cross? Have you ever heard of these things? Have you ever heard? And you don't have to be an uninformed person, some country bumpkin, not knowing what in the world's going on. And you can witness effectively. Not just that, I said this last week, but you can also not just witness effectively, but you can live confidently. And don't even raise your hand, but do you ever just freak out? you ever stress out? you ever get weird? For me, it's Monday. And every day before Saturday and then all day Sunday. And I stress out, I freak out, unless I interject the truth and say, what, what's really going on? The grand matter narrative, the whole story. And when you know this, you can live confidently. You can share effectively. And you will know what in the world God is doing around us. This is the reason why we study. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 29, 
The children of Israel had been taken to Babylon, a foreign land. They were there for a short time. They were foreigners. And Jeremiah wrote to them in verse, or chapter 29, and he said, while you're there, okay, I want you to work jobs, take families, raise kids, and bless the people you're around because you're not going to be here forever. Did you know that's your call right now? If you're like me, because some people get mad at Christians that believe in the rapture. Like, oh, you're just an ostrich in the sand, and you're not looking at anything. You just got escapism. I just count down the days till the rapture. And if you're like me, you put your rapture shoes on every day. <sighs> Why? Well, so that way I can have an answer for the suffering and the chaos. I'm not into escapism, running away from problems. I actually have answers. Okay? It's not about this world. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. Right before that, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. Okay? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus, he answered all the problems. Jesus is the answer. So as we study this out, it's important that you know these things, that you understand these things. And I want to pick up in verse 8 where we left off last week. Because there's going to be a conflict in the future. It's going to be intensified. Here's the crazy thing, though. The same conflict is happening right now. Look at verse 8. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. I'm going to read that verse again. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's one group. And then it gives the other group. Whose names have not been written in the book of of the life of the book of life of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world verse 9 if anyone has an ear let him hear now the worship of him is the worship of the antichrist in the future there will be a group of people that do not have their names written in the lamb's book of life slain before the foundation of the world and they will worship the antichrist there are two groups of people then those who worship the antichrist and those who abstain and worship the Lord. Two groups of people. Did you know there's only two groups of people right now? Saints and ain'ts. That's it. There's no middle ground. You're either a saint or you ain't. That's theology right there. Write that down. It's going to be on the test. There are those in the future who are going to worship the Antichrist. And there are those in the future who will worship the king of kings. Their lives will be taken from them. It'll cost them everything, just like our lives aren't supposed to be our own. When you sign up to worship Jesus, when you sign up to be a Christian, he takes away your sins and you voluntarily give him your life. Take my life. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But instead I say, no, it's not about me and, and my life is one of worship and I need to just make sure everyone knows this because if you're not for the Lord Jesus Christ, this is important, you're against him. If you don't gather with him, you scatter against the Lord. There are only two camps. And I say that because there is a group of people that think they're right in the middle and they're in profound trouble. This is the group of people that are good. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that are good compared to me. You know, it's not that hard to be better than Luke Frechette. Some of you know me well. You're like, do that again, you know. <laughs> It's not that hard to be better than me or a bad guy, but that's not the standard that we're comparing ourselves to. There are a whole host of people in this world today that are better than me. They serve in rotary positions. They volunteer at charities. They give of their money. 
first responders and doctors and nurses and teachers and good people. They vote. They recycled before it was cool, you know. <laughs> they do all these things, and yet, listen, this is so important, and yet they don't worship Jesus. And they don't have any beef against Jesus, no problem with him, but they do not worship him as Lord and Savior. And when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, the question, the one question that will be asked is not, did you recycle? Okay. Did you volunteer? Do, were you a good person? Were you better than Pastor Luke? It's not going to be on the test. The question that's going to be asked is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you worship him? Did you receive from him what he offered to you? That, that's the only question. And this is profoundly important for both camps of really good people and really bad people. Did you know there are really, really bad people in the world that are just devastated by their sin, their addiction, their failure? And when they get to heaven, they're not going to be asked about that stuff. It's not, it doesn't matter. Jesus said the greatest commandment is not to not do bad stuff. The greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The question on the test, what did you do with God's son? And if you're a worshiper, you come in. And if you're a commentator or a fair-weather follower or some other, if, if he's not your Lord and Savior, even if you've led a great life and saved many and gave thousands of dollars away and were a humanitarian, be gone. Why? I don't know you. I don't know you. Heaven is for my family. They're for my kids. And so a word of encouragement for the person who's here today, and you just can't figure it out. I'm such an idiot. I keep blowing it. I keep getting trapped. I keep getting stuck. I keep getting, ah, I'm such a weakling. It's not about you. It's not about you. Why do you think the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart? Because David was so good? Because David was so, so put together? You know that David was a mess. Like, if they had reality TV back then, it would have been his show. <laughs> a mess. And every time David blew it, he ran to the Lord. Oh, it's me. And the Lord said, interesting. You're so convinced that I'll forgive you. You're so convinced of my grace and mercy. As a matter of fact, it is known in the New Testament as the sure mercies of David. Can you imagine having mercies named after you, you were such a wreck? Like, what kind of forgiveness are you looking for? Like the kind that David got. <laughs> you know, like, that's, what, that's a, David. And so if you're here, and you're just, man, you're, you're such a mess. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. But if you're here today or watching online or know somebody, that your life's actually not a mess. You're pretty, you grew up right, man, you're on the right side of the tracks, and you just, you're not that bad. You can't really find a lot of error. And I've actually had people say this to me over the years. Luke, appreciate you, man. Great beard. Just kidding. They don't say that. But they would say this. I don't have a problem with your Jesus. That's fine. Like, I, don't, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I just don't need, I don't have a problem with him. To which I, I say, that's awesome. You don't have a problem with Jesus. Do you, do you think, though, that he might have a problem with you? You not having a problem with him is not the issue. It's just, are you, a, is, is he looking at you as an offense? 
Are you at war with him by your rejection, by your overlooking, by your replacement theology? I don't need Jesus. I'm better than Pastor Luke. I can pay my bills. I can lead others. I've done pretty. It's called selfism. Two camps. You should know this stuff, by the way. For yourself, when you fall down hard, it's not about you. Get up. Plead the sure mercies of David. Offer the sure mercies of David to those people around you who have failed. Just bust up. Clean them up. And you who think you're not at war with the king. He says in verse 9, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Did you know you can hear something? You can listen and actually not know what's being said? Husbands, can I get an amen? (laughs) Husbands, have you done this before? Wife's talking. You're listening. Hour, two, three hours into it, you realize she's still talking. (laughs) And you realize it's your turn to respond. Oh, no. (laughs) You didn't hear anything. He says right here, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. This is so cool. You can respond right now to Jesus Christ and say, okay, I hear you. Lord, help me to hear. That's what we prayed for at the beginning of the teaching. Verse 10, he says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience of the faith in the saints. This is the word that was given to John about the future, about the Antichrist, about the false worship and the setup of the political system. He says, you know what? Those who are leading into captivity, they're going to be captive themselves. Those who kill, they themselves will be killed. This is your patience, Christian. Don't give up. Life is tough. God is good. Don't confuse the two. Don't be like a goldfish. Don't forget. Remind yourself. This is why morning devotions are so important. This is why reading the the Bible through is so important. The Lord's going to speak to you. More value than the winning lotto books numbers. I promise you. Not just temporary life changing, but eternal life changing. He speaks this to us this morning. Now look at verse 11. We're going to get into some new territory. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Stop right there. Eyes up here. We have so far seen two characters in this unholy trinity. The first character was the serpent, the dragon, Satan himself. And Satan stood upon the seashore and looked to the sea, which is the worlds around, and out of it came a beast with seven heads and ten horns. This is the Antichrist. And we see this political man come on the scene. The Bible says that the man of perdition will not be revealed until the restrainers removed from the earth. Second Thessalonians chapter two. So this guy is alive today. I believe it's in our generation, but nobody knows him as the Antichrist. He's just a political pawn somewhere. Maybe in America, maybe in Europe, maybe in Russia, maybe in South America. We don't know where he's at. But he's not going to be alone. we got Satan who will inspire the Antichrist. And then after the Antichrist will come this other guy known as the false prophet. And the false prophet will emerge as well. He's got two horns like a lamb, but the mouth of a dragon. These two horns, we don't know exactly what it means. It could mean his dual citizenship. It could mean his dual focus, that he is both political and spiritual. He's the advisor. One thing I'll point out now for you Bible students who are piecing this together, though, is the devil himself can only do three things. He can accuse you and I, which is what he'll do until you die. And then he will imitate what God does. He only ever always imitates substitutes of what God does. Here we see the unholy trinity. You see the anti-father, Satan. You see the anti-Christ, the antichrist. And then we see the anti-spirit, all in place of the holy trinity. This is what the devil does. Not only will he imitate and substitute, but he will confront. You guys know something? 
The devil hates you and wants to deceive you. Anytime he submits to you an imitation of Christ, an imitation of joy, an imitation of peace, a substitute, anti-Christ. Anti doesn't mean against Christ. You guys remember that last week? The Antichrist isn't going to come on the scene trying to take out Christ. He's going to come on the scene and say, look, I am your Christ. I'm your Christ. Come here. What do you need? I got you. I got you. What do you need? I got you. And he is going to solve the world's problems. And not only do you got me, but you got my little buddy here, the, the, the two-horned lamb guy. He's not going to have two real lamb horns, just so you know, but he is going to be working for the devil. And anytime we find ourselves taking the bait, listen, it's just a substitute for what God really wants to do in your life. As Christians, this is so important because Satan's never going to stop confronting you. He's never going to stop accusing you. And he's never going to stop presenting substitutes in front of you. May the Lord give us wisdom. And may we hear. Not just listen, but hear. So that way the next time that, that false offering of joy, peace, purpose comes our way, we reject it. Now, let me get your attention quickly. Because with the Antichrist and his rise and this false prophet, the reality is our society as we know it is poised for a takeover like this. We need someone that can lead with courage and charisma and purpose and answers. Do we not? We need a president. We need a king. We need a savior, a political savior. Somebody, this is the narrative in the world, somebody to come on the scene. And here's the biggest problem that is stopping all of this from happening. Religion. Religion is the big divide. Christians and Jews and Arabs and everyone else in the middle. If we could just somehow blend it all together and possibly, maybe, right at the same time that real Christians are removed, fake Christians are left behind, the ones that want to kind of play games and mix channels together and not really worry about what's going on. I just need you guys to pay attention. This has been happening from the very beginning of creation. This inability to dwell together in unity has led to now what we're seeing in our world around us, a need for a political renewal. Let's call it a one-world government. Globalization of mankind. The world is set up for it. When one market economy suffers, it impacts the rest. And if we could just get stability, and man, if religion would just stop, they'd just remove all this. You guys know recently, I think it was last month, President Trump met with Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and they came together and said, let's bring peace to the Middle East. And they're one of about a dozen, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand men that have attempted to do this. And President Trump, man, some of his quotes are so awesome about how he, we got it. We solved it. They're going to love it. The Palestinians are going to love it. And just yesterday, the Palestinians took that proposal, kicked it as far as they could go. They said, we'll never accept these terms, you know. And Trump, man, he thought he had it, man, him and Benjamin Netanyahu. And the, the draft was proposed by Trump's son and all this stuff. And hey, the book of Zechariah, I'll read this to you. It says, behold. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. And when they lay siege both against Judah and Jerusalem, and in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against up there as up here. The Bible has declared that no one would be able to solve the Middle East peace problem. Listen, until the Antichrist shows up. Somehow, some way, he's going to be able to bring to the, to the Middle East what no one else has been able to do. Now, everyone who's been in power has tried this. 
As a matter of fact, while this was written, there was a thing on planet Earth called Pax Romana, which was Roman peace. And the Roman governors had declared, we did it. Peace on Earth. Look, Rome rules the world. We did it, guys. We got peace all around the world. There was bloodshed everywhere. The Romans were at peace, but the rest of the world was suffering. Alexander the Great, 500 years earlier, had tried to bring world peace through domination. I say that to say this. It's going to happen. Someone is going to strike a deal. Did you guys see this last year? Put, put that picture up there of Pope Francis. I kind of like Pope Francis. He says some cool things. He spearheaded an organizational group, though, with a bunch of religious leaders. Here he is with an imam signing some documents. This happened in Abu Dhabi, which is right underneath Iran, deep, deep, deep Middle East. I'm going to read a headline, uh, some of the, the quotes. Pope Francis signs peace declaration on human fraternity with the grand imam. Catholics, Muslims, and all who believe in God must work together to build a culture of love, peace, and human fraternity. Pope Francis said in a joint statement that he signed with Ahmed al-Tayyab, Grand Imam of al-Azhar, during the religious meetings in Abu Dhabi. The document, entitled A Document on Human Fraternity for World Peace and Living Together, invited all persons who have faith in God and faith in human fraternity to unite and work together so that they may serve as a guide for future generations to advance a culture of mutual respect in the awareness of the great divine grace that makes all human beings brothers and sisters. The document discussed the importance of religion in building a peaceful and free society and the challenges of an increasingly secular world. It condemned all practices and policies detrimental to human life and freedom. Within one paragraph about human freedom, the document states that the religious plurality is willed by God. The pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings, the document states, last paragraph. This divine wisdom is the source from which the right to freedom of belief and the freedom to be different derives. Therefore, the fact that people are forced to adhere to a certain religion or culture must be rejected as to the imposition of a cultural way of life that others do not accept. God wills that all men come to know him through the free choice of their will, and so it follows that a diversity of religions can be spoken about as permissively willed by God without denying the supernatural good of one true religion, he added, and the article goes on and on. My point is, whether it's Trump, Alexander the Great, whether it's Caesar Nero, or whether it's the Pope, everyone wants world peace. No one has been able to strike this deal. The Bible says, though, that when the Christians are removed and the Antichrist is given the power from Satan himself, he will be able to lead a one-world government. All of this is coming down, and the world around us is poised. And at that time, this line drawn in the sand, you either ain't or you're a saint. And if you choose to be a saint, it's going to cost you everything you have. And I want us as believers to not only know what's going to happen in the future so we might live confidently, but should we share effectively? Raise up your kids. Talk to people over Christmas dinner. You'll be the weird guy for sure but at least you'll know what's going on. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of, this, out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. I would also point out, guys, these are grotesque pictures. Seven horns, ten heads, ten crowns, two horns, dragon breath, all this crazy stuff. These are symbolic pictures to describe what you can't see because what you can't see is the realities of these two men. You're going to see a great put-together team, Batman and Robin, okay, a Christ and a spirit. These two parties coming together. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, in the end days there would be wolves dressed in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. Interesting, this guy's a lamb, but he's really a dragon. Now, I want to get your attention too because this guy's about to do some crazy stuff. And as he is empowered, it says in verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in, the, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Stop right there, eyes up here. The first beast, the Antichrist, in place of Christ, he's going to be assassinated. He's going to die. The Bible predicts in the Old Testament that he'll lose one eye. His right arm will be rendered useless. And then he'll come back to life. And then the false prophet shows up, and his job is to bring attention and worship to the Antichrist who was dead and now lives. Does this like, sound like a familiar story to you? Have you heard this before? The Holy Spirit's main job right now is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, and to cause all people to give allegiance to Jesus. Did you know that's what the Holy Spirit does? His main job is to get you to look at the one who was dead and now lives. And these guys show up on the scene, they have no new tricks up their sleeve, like, let's do the same thing, only super evil. You know, that's their idea. It'll be dragons and dra- serpents, it'll be horns, you know, and, and yet there's going to be power. Here, listen, this is kind of where I want to warn you guys. There's going to be power involved. Look at verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in sight of men. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Stop right there, eyes up here. I, I don't have time to develop this. I'm just going to say it and make it as clear as possible. This Antichrist and the false prophet will have power to call down fire from heaven. They're going to have power to do miracles. Can you imagine if somebody called down fire from heaven and did miracles? What would be the natural humanistic response? I'm going with that guy. I'm going with that guy. He died and now lives. What are you thinking? This is the guy. He brought Middle East peace. This is the one. And it's through signs and wonders, miracles and power that deception was brought. Now, let me speak out of both sides of my mouth. In the church today, signs, miracles, power and wonder exist. The spirit is alive and well. All the gifts in the New Testament are flowing. God heals. God raises the dead. God does whatever he wants to do for his glory. Okay, I believe that. Yet, there will be power given to the other side, even now there is, when it's not embedded and rooted in the truth of God, and it will be abused to lead people, listen, away from God. Just because there's power in a ministry, or in a man, or in a woman, or a person, or in a preacher, or an author, just because there's power, signs, wonders, and success does not mean it's from the Lord. And you will know a tree by its fruit, And when a man or a woman or an author or a church or a movement leads people to themselves rather than to Christ, they are antichrist. It's happening right now. Now, let me just say something. I really like you guys. You guys are cool. You're weird, but you're cool. At South Beach Church, there are not, I've been doing this about 20 years now, okay? And at South Beach Church, there's not a lot of people tripped out, okay, on spiritual trips. Y'all are, y'all are cool. You're trying to find Jesus. You're trying to live your life. There are people in Christendom, in churches though, and I've been to them. I've, oh, I've been to, they're getting tripped out in things, going after power signs and wonders and chicken feathers and gold dust and barking and all that. I've seen it all, man. I've been, to, I've been there. You guys aren't doing it. Don't start. Please don't start. Because we just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. 
I just want to glorify Jesus. And there is power, though, being exercised on the earth that subtly can and even more drastically lead people away from Jesus. Be careful. I've seen it happen. I don't have time for stories. I've got some stories, but I can't share. I've seen it. And so may the Spirit of the Lord give us discernment. Just because somebody can perform powerful signs does not mean they're truthful. It's got to be grounded in the Word of God. This guy's going to show up. He's going to do crazy things, powerful things, call down fire, perform miracles. So much so that through those signs alone, he's going to deceive people. And I thank the Lord for you guys, for this church and for our elders and for the board and for the staff. Thank you, Jesus, for a bunch of men and women who truly love Jesus. They don't want all the distractions. And God does heal. I've seen he's healed people. Don't get me, it's, it's a fine balance here, seeking the Lord. This gets really interesting, though. It says in verse 14, it's a, it's a long verse, and at the end there, I, I read it quickly. He tells those, middle of the verse, who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that it should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is all going to happen in the future. You got the Antichrist, then you got the false prophet, kind of like worm tongue from Lord of the Rings. That's kind of how I imagine him, you know. If you haven't watched it, that's your fault, not mine. And he shows up and he starts deceiving people, doing tricks, and all of a sudden he erects this statue. I don't know what kind of statue it is. I don't know if it's small, if it's big, if it's a hologram. I don't know if everyone's putting on virtual glasses and they're seeing this thing, but there's an image erected somewhere. The Bible calls this the abomination of desolation, where this image of the Antichrist is put there on the Temple Mount. Satan's desire his whole entire life is to be worshipped in heaven. That will never happen. So he puts an image of himself, receives worship on earth. And this image is given power to speak. Now, a lot of commentators write this off and say it's going to be a hologram or some sort of robotics or AI, artificial intelligence. I mean, you've seen the crazy stuff that's available nowadays with robots that look real. And who knows what it's going to be? It could be completely supernatural, a demon-possessed statue. Reminds me of when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Remember the story? They were, they were asked by Nebuchadnezzar to worship the 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And they refrained. They said, no, we're not doing it. And he's like, let me go. If you don't do it. Yeah, you know, and he, and he read the story. It's crazy, and, and and they didn't do it. They didn't worship. And God preserved them, protected them. There's another story in the Old Testament. I think it's First Samuel chapter five, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines, and they take it and they put it in their trophy house. They have a little trophy room there, and they put it right next to this statue of Dagon. He's the fish god that they worshipped, and this Dagon statue's there. And the next day, they go in to kind of check on the trophy case, and there's Dagon on his face before the Ark of the Covenant worshipping. And they're like, what in the world? I got this statue fall down. You don't know the story. They prop it back up and just kind of brush their hands off. That was weird. And the next day, they go back in, First Samuel chapter 5, and Dagon's fallen down again. And this time, his arms are busted off, and he's all busted up. And they realize, we're messing with the real god here. Yet people will be deceived. And they're going to worship, and they're going to be taken captive. The abomination of desolation. Look at verse 16, 17, and 18. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, 
that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom, verse 18. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. This false prophet at this point in time, people are worshiping the beast. The Christians have been removed. The tribulation saints are hiding in the wilderness. And he says, all right, new world system, globalization at its best. In order for everyone to move forward and get what they need, you got to take a mark of the beast. He's not going to call it that, by the way, just so you guys know. you got to take one of these marks that will help you buy, sell, trade, and live. You will get your fuel. You will get your health insurance. You will get your education. You will get your freedom. You will get everything this way by the mark that we give to you as a governmental, globalized society. And it's actually going to be a blessing because it's going to open up opportunities and avenues for you to go into the gym free of charge, to go into schools, to have access to all. And if you don't have it, you'll be killed. Now, let's just imagine this for a second. What he is proposing is buying and selling is no longer with a cash system, but instead a mark system. Now, we have slowly but surely moved into a cashless society. Do we, I mean, how many guys have cash right now? Anybody have cash right now? Man, what a, what a pain in the neck. You can just leave that in the box when you leave here today. Just... <laughs> Why would you have cash anymore? I'm just kidding. But cash, man, cash is slowly. Man, when was the last time you wrote a check? Raise your hands. You know, I haven't ordered checks in 75 years. I've got like five left. I'm never going to need them. Like we've slowly, cash has become a thing of the past. I can on my watch right now, go to the store and just tap it right there. And it takes all the money out of my debit account and my credit account. All that stuff's all there. I've got Apple Pay and all this cashless society is not a new thing. But here's the funny thing. It was predicted 2,000 years ago. For such a time as this. The technological time you and I live in right now is unprecedented. Do not go through your life like a goldfish. The fact you're alive today is beyond bonkers. That God would allow you to be an ETW, an end time warrior. We're here when all of these things are being fulfilled. It's all being set up. For 2,000 years, commentators have been reading this going, I don't know. I'm not sure how that's going to... I don't know. I don't know. And even since the fall of Israel, or 70 AD, Israel's not been a thing until 1948. And they haven't been able to piece it all together. Oh, 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 oh. Everything's coming together. And now with technology, cashless society. There are so many reasons to move away to a cashless society. Did you know that right now in America, there is $900 billion cash printed, Okay. 900 billion. And over half of the actual cash is in other countries. It's not even here. And the government's like, we could use some of that, you know. And imagine if somebody went to a cashless society. No more, no more hard cash. It's all just electronic. Oh, man, so much easier to track. Did you know that almost 100% of large international drug deals are cash-based? Just remove cash. No more international drug deals, okay? Nobody's writing checks for hundreds and thousands of pounds of cocaine. It doesn't happen with checks, it's all cash. Just get rid of it. Did you know that every single year the U.S. government loses $1 trillion in revenue from untaxed cash transactions? People getting paid under the table. One, you think the government wants that trillion dollars back? They would love it. Just get rid of cash. What about crime? Stealing money from small businesses or ATM withdrawals. You got cash in your hand. It can be stolen. All of the reasons for cash to disappear are already on the scene. And yet I just think it's fascinating that it was predicted 2,000 
years ago as the stock markets are affected by different things. If, if somebody comes up with a, a system, some way to bless everyone and care, again, antichrist, this false prophet, this is gonna be an answer to everyone's problems. Oh, you mean if we all just take the mark of the beast, whatever it may be, I can have all my bills paid? And I can, I can just, I can be cared for. Money's gonna, food's just gonna show up to my, my door and I get to have all, oh, why wouldn't you take it? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Mark of the beast. Look at verse 17. No one will buy or sell except he has the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of man, the number 666. It's been proposed that that number is the most infamous number on planet earth. Everyone knows 666. Okay, you hear that number and you just kind of go the other way. When you go to the coffee house and your order comes up and it's $6.66, man, you buy something else, you know. I'll take another one of whatever I got, you know. I'll buy this guy's behind me. Like, keep bringing it up. Get it off the, you know. At the DMV, true story, it's the most returned and complained about license plate that's issued into people. 666, you know, you walk out, you look at your license plate. Oh, no! You know, nobody wants 666 on their license plate. Ah, It's great. We know this number. And here in verse 18, we're challenged to calculate the number. And, and I, I believe that you've got to take it in context. I believe that the real observation and calculation has to be for the people that are going to be there. We're not going to be there. I don't, I don't think there's much benefit to actually calculating the number. It, it could be some sort of technology. It could be some sort of system for sure. And, and there, everything around us is advancing so fast. How many of you guys have a, a, a smartphone? Remember smartphones when they first came out? And, and the first smartphone was like 600 bucks. When I saw that, I was like, what? I'm never going to be able to afford one. And then one year they tricked us and it was like 199 bucks. And then you got one and now they're back to like 1200 bucks. And anyways, how, raise your hand if you've got a smartphone. Anybody got a smartphone in here? Okay. Okay. 19 of you, the rest of you, what are you guys doing? Anyways, uh, did you know your phone right now, this phone's been listening to every single thing I've said this entire sermon. Your phone tracks all of your usage, all of your data. I just got my report sent to me at, during the last service about all my usage last week. Did you know that my phone records every time I set it down and pick it up and what I do with it right after I pick it up? It records where I go to, what apps I use, what I go to first, how long I've been on that app, all of the information. When I get in my car and travel places, it learns, tracks, and then sends that information to developers without my need of approval. Somewhere where I just hit that box at the end, do you agree? You ever read the, you know, do you agree? I agreed to it. Right now, when I get in my car after this service, it will assume, guess, and pick accurately that I'm going to Taco Bell. Because <laughs> that's where I go every single Sunday after the second service, and it knows how to get there, and it takes me there. Tomorrow morning, it knows where I'm going. It knows. It tracks. It listens. Technology. Now, I'm not saying that iPhones have anything to do with the mark of the beast because it says specifically that it's going to be on your right hand or your forehead. Okay, so we have nothing to worry about there. No, there's no way it could be an iPhone or something. I don't know about that. It is, all, it is interesting their logo is an apple with a bite taken out of it, though. Isn't it interesting? Like, I don't know. Did you know the very first Apple computer sold for a price of 600 and $66 and 66 cents. True story. Absolutely true. I don't know why Steve Jobs liked that number. He thought it was catchy, you know, unforgettable. True story. The first Apple computer, $666 and 66 cents, 1974. 
I'm not saying it's the iPhone. I've got an iPhone. It might be the iPhone. I don't know. But, but we know the number. We've been trying to figure it out. Do you remember when UPC symbols came out? UPC symbols. I think it was 1974 also. First, first one was enacted. It was thought up in the 1940s. And this idea that you could mark products, universal product code, UPC. And, and there's guide bars at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. And those guide bars are often, at the inception, were 666. People started freaking out. You could snope that one. That one's easy to, to, to realize it's not the mark of the beast, but it is a mark. It is a marking. It's brand new technology. Did you know the very first item ever used with a UPC symbol for sale? The, the Apple computer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be too cool. The very first product ever used was a pack of gum. Wrigley's gum. Guess what flavor? Juicy fruit. Which is exactly what Satan tempted Eve with. <laughs> I told my wife that last night. She said, don't do it. I said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Juicy fruit. UPC. Sorry. The reason that the guy, they said, you couldn't fit that on even on a small piece of gum. And so he, juicy fruit. Juicy fruit. And, and who knows what it is and who knows the fascination with our society on technology. Have you thought about tattoos, marking of the body? The Bible says to not mark your body in the Old Testament contextually speaking specifically of worship towards Moloch, okay? So don't mark your body if you're worshiping Moloch. That's the context. But have you noticed that tattoos have gone like next level within the last 40, 40 years, last four decades? I mean, tattoos have always been around, marking your body, always been around. But it's like, it's next level. People are doing crazy things with their bodies now. And I think it's just setting the stage, the technology, the virtual reality, UPC symbols, all this stuff. Did you know you can, you can take the Roman numerals, and add them together. One plus five plus 10 plus 50 plus 100 plus 500 equals 666. Roman numerals. And some people say, oh, whoa, 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 you know, and they, they, maybe it's a connection to the Roman government or, or the Roman church, the Catholic church or Rome. And I do actually believe that it's going to be a revisitation of the European Union. What about visa cards? Visa. MasterCard, Discover, American Express. You guys know what a Visa card, the, the first letter, the V and the I, Roman numerals make a what? A six. And then if you use the Greek language, the S has a numerical value. Guess what its value is? Six. And then if you take the Babylonian language and you take the A, the A is assigned to six. And so your Visa card is six, six, six. So again, leave your cards here. We'll take those for you. <laughs> Why would you doom yourself? I'm kidding. I'm not kidding, but I'm kidding. <sighs> now let me just wrap up in this thought, and this is actually really important. There's a warning and an admonition to calculate the meaning of 666 the mark of the beast, which is the number of man. In the Bible, there's what is known as the rule of first mention. And that is, in order to figure something out, your wisest bet is to go to the very first time that it's spoken of. And therein lies the rule of what the context of that particular subject is referring to. 
the very, very first person to ever receive a mark is the very first person to ever be born. His name starts with C and rhymes with Ain. Cain. Adam wasn't born, he was created. Eve too. They had a son, Cain. And you guys remember the story, Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. And they were both to bring sacrifices and worship to God. And when Cain brought his sacrifice to God, it was a bunch of produce, things that he had grown, things that he had done, things that he had gardened, which coincidentally, in chapter three, the earth was cursed. It's gonna be hard to garden. It's gonna be hard to grow stuff. You're not gonna be able to. Cain said, watch me. And Cain did what he knew best to do. And when he presented it to the Lord, it was selfism, his ability. And you know what the Bible says about Cain's sacrifice? God rejected it. He said, no. What? Broke Cain's heart. Caused wrath and malice, anger. Abel shows up. Abel brought him a bloody lamb. That's what I got. I got it. All I got is a bloody lamb. Something you made, something you created, something that's dead. This is what our our mom and dad were covered with when they were forgiven. And the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice. In all of this, from the very beginning, the conception speaks forward, this shadow, this event of, listen, that which pleases the Lord and that which displeases the Lord. You want to know what is the mark of the beast? In the future, there will be a legit mark of the beast for buying and selling and trading. If you don't have it, you're going to be killed. That's your way of expressing worship to God, non-allegiance to the Antichrist. But for you and I who are here this morning, how do we avoid the, the mark of the beast? That is the number of man. Not looking to yourself and your pride and your ego and your abilities and what you can do in a presentation to God, but instead crying out for the sure mercies of David, for the forgiveness of God, finding your worth and your wealth in the lamb slain before the foundation of the Lord. It's all about Jesus. There are two groups of people in the world, saints and ain'ts. And it's not a matter of what you do or produce. It's a matter of who you're looking to. It's Jesus. And these people then, they're going to look to the Antichrist. They're going to look to the false prophet. They're going to look to the beast of the sea. They're not going to be looking to Jesus. And we have a grand opportunity today to not look to ourselves. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come in. He's going to lead us in a time of communion. I believe the Lord wants to liberate some people today. Because you're busy worshiping God with your own produce. You're working for Jesus. You're offered him things that only you can do. And maybe like me, you're coming up short. You ever try to garden on the Oregon coast? <laughs> It'll make you fall in love with the produce section at Fred Meyer's, man. I love the Fred Meyer's produce section. Because I tried to grow my own stuff here, man. It's hard. Have you tried to produce your own righteousness? It's a fine line here. I'm trying to do it right. I'm, I don't want to do wrong, for sure. For sure I don't want to do wrong. But what do you do when you've done wrong? Do you know the mercies of the Lord? Do you know that it is the sacrifice that is acceptable is Jesus Christ? 
Maybe you're here this morning and you have, you just, your, your produce is down. You're just a mess. You're like David. You need to cry out to him. Don't try and offer him your stuff. Can you imagine that? Bring me an offering and you bring him your stuff? The way of Cain. Abel showed up with the, the blood. And as we come to the table of communion, we're reminded of the blood. The blood spilled for us, the body broken for us. Our Christ, our Savior. This is for you to enjoy this morning so you can be so set free from yourself that you can go out and liberate others. That husbands and wives can liberate each other today, forgive each other. Let bygones be bygones. Don't hold grudges anymore. Just love each other. That you can bless your kids and your neighbors and the people that have offended you. Of course they've offended you. You can't produce anything. But the blood of Jesus takes away the sins of the whole world. So Lord, as we come to the table, would you have mercy upon us? Thank you, Jesus, that we can find our hope, our joy, our peace, our purpose in you. Not in things instead of you, Antichrist. It's you. And so friends, as you come to the table today and you take your elements, would you hold them dear to yourself? I take my elements and I, I raise them up because Christ was raised off the ground, suspended between heaven and earth, suffering for you. And Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He was lifted. Don't let this be ritual or religious. You plead the blood. You cry out to him. You cannot save yourself. There is no comparison that you will find yourself glorious more than Jesus Christ. You must plead the blood. Before we come to the table, I want to remind you, if you need prayer during this time, there's people on my right and left to pray for you. Some of our pastors will be up at a table on the south side, on my left. I have to pray for you. Connect. If, if maybe you need to rededicate your life, you just, you've been gone too long, it's time for a start, and you need to connect with somebody. Maybe you're going to get saved today. Today's the first day for you. You're going to get saved in Jesus' name. Make sure and come to the table after communion. Lord, what we do now, we do in Jesus' name, proclaiming your death until you return. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Heal. Would you heal at the table? Heal our hearts. Set us free from burdens of shame and pain and failure. Leave it at the table and take with you the body and the blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.